It's your Thursday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to have everybody back for another day. A lot of uh, a lot of stuff to get to today. Big big show. Jeff Day joins me here in just a little bit to talk Gophers volleyball. They resume play in the NCAA tournament today, actually this morning, 11 a.m. against Ohio State. A Big Ten showdown should be a tremendous match for uh, you know for anybody to watch, but uh, big one for the Gophers, seeing if they can advance to the region final where they presumably would play Texas, although that uh, is uh, dependent on Texas also advancing. But a big one there, and Jeff and I will break down that team, what's at stake, and bigger picture stuff for that program as well. Uh, i got to talk about the Wolves. They pulled out a win after big, giving away a big lead. Got to talk about the Wild, who um, <clears throat> also had a pretty good pretty good size lead, a 2-0 lead in the first period, but could not hold on. They lost to Calgary, their win streak over. And some illness running through the Vikings, maybe a little cause for concern, although still a few days left before they have to play the Lions this weekend. First, though, what did I miss Stock money, a couple big money stories um, dominating my thoughts this morning. Um, first off, PJ Fleck, Gophers football head coach, signs a seven-year, forty-two million dollar contract. It's essentially a one-year extension uh, because he'd already had. Uh, it just basically takes his deal through twenty twenty-nine as opposed to twenty twenty-eight. Um, but you know, still significant in that it uh, it added. Um, a, a million dollars per year to his contract. That's according to reporting in the Star Tribune by Randy Johnson. So he makes an average of six million dollars a year now. That's a that's a one million dollar raise for what over what he was making. Now Fleck in a news release says this is all about cultural sustainability. Yeah, maybe that's a polite way too of saying this is the cost of doing business. A lot of salaries going up in the Big Ten, Nebraska and Wisconsin. As Randy noted in his story, both um, inking new coaches to contracts lately. Uh, Matt Rule going to Nebraska for a, a deal worth almost a little over $9 million a year. Luke Fickle uh, going from Cincinnati to Wisconsin on a seven-year deal that's worth $7.7 million a year. So Fleck making less than those guys, of course, those programs, more accomplished over the long haul and even you know relative short haul. Um, and Jeff Brome just left Purdue to go to Louisville. He'll make almost $6 million a year. So flex salary kind of in line with uh, with the middle of the pack in, in the Big Ten, which, you know, frankly is probably about where he should be based on where the Gophers have been. They've basically been a team that, as Mark Coyle said in his statement, what PJ and his staff have done in a short amount of time is remarkable. I don't know if I'd say remarkable, but I'd say pretty good. And he added, PJ consistently builds a team that Minnesotans can take pride in and one that competes for championships. Competes for championships is accurate. I think um, next step, obviously, for Fleck in the evolution of this program, in the evolution of where fans might like to see this program, is more than competing for championships, actually winning a Big Ten West. And that's the, the point now where I must say, let's see where this goes in the future. I think he's done a really good job of building this to this point. 11 wins in 2019, 9 wins last year, a chance to win 9 again this year if they can win the pinstripe bowl here in a few weeks. Um, you, know, you throw out the COVID year when they were 3 and 4, didn't really have a chance to to do a whole lot there. So the last three full seasons, 11, 9, 8, 28 and 10 total record in those three seasons. You know, non-conference gets thrown in, 
They've had some easy schedules. Those are all qualifiers. You can only play who's on your schedule. 28 and 10 is awfully impressive, even if this year fell short of expectations. So what I hope for the sake of the Gophers in this program is that that deal still looks good three or four years from now when, uh, you know, when UCLA, USC, are you know, running around in the Big Ten when when the schedule isn't quite as favorable as it has been. If it's still sustained to at least the level they're at right now where they're competing, winning eight or nine games a year most years, then you can still feel good about it. So the future to me is just as important as what he's already done, and uh, we'll see where that goes from here. The other cost of doing business that I want to talk about quickly, update on the Carlos Correa situation with the Twins. Twins, of course, hoping to re-sign Correa, who played shortstop for them last year for the cool price of $35.1 million. The market for Correa taking shape rather quickly here with a few things that have happened lately. We talked about Trey Turner signing with the Phillies a few days ago. Xander Bogarts reportedly now signing an 11-year, $280 million deal with the Padres. That combined with the Aaron Judge contract, nine years, 360, which is just out of this world. Now, obviously, Judge, not a shortstop, but he was one of the market setters. He, he kind of uh, gives you a, a little bit of a tone of who's left to spend money, um, where Correa might wind up. But now two of the four shortstops in this in this excellent class off the market, Dansby Swanson, now the other one left along with Correa. Got to think at this point with the Padres going with Bogarts that the biggest players in the, uh, in the Correa sweepstakes are the Twins, the Cubs and the Giants. The Giants were a destination just because of uh, they, they were going hard after Aaron Judge when they didn't get him. It looked like now maybe they'll turn their attention to someone like Correa. Twins have been in on this. It sounds like it sounds like they're at least you know in this conversation, a one they never would have been in if they hadn't been able to you know have him fall in their lap a year ago and and make that work, make that commitment to him work. So. I'll, this is kind of this is getting interesting. I think we're going to know pretty soon where Carlos Correa is headed, and I don't think the Twins can outspend somebody, but I think they can be in the neighborhood. They've got that money to spend. What they have to decide is if that's where they want to basically put all of their resources. How far they're willing to go with with the term and the annual commitment to Correa, who you know certainly had a very good year for them last season. Certainly brings a lot of both tangible and intangible qualities. But the bigger picture in all this is I feel like a resolution is coming soon because I think the feel like we're getting a lot of market clarity from these winter meetings. The, the money is flying around. These shortstops are getting signed quickly, and we already know about Aaron Judge, so other teams who might have been waiting on that are no longer waiting on that. So let's keep an eye out for that in the next few days here, see where Correa might wind up, and that'll give the Twins again that clarity to know where they're headed for the rest of this offseason. Speaking of clarity, Timberwolves um, was pretty clear they came to play at least early on in uh, in Wednesday's game. They built a 23-point lead over the Pacers. I believe it was like 47-24 to early in the second quarter and gave it all back. Um, Pacers got it to almost tied at halftime. Pacers took the lead in the third quarter, but the Wolves rally win that game some big big box score numbers out of that game and some big big plays made in that game no bigger than Rudy Gobert's block of a block of a, of a pacer shot down the stretch preserving a a lead you know Wolves get the ball make some free throws Gobert also had two big free throws down the stretch that gave them the lead so you know probably one of the better Rudy Gobert games 
that I have seen uh, during his during his time with the Wolves. 16 points, 21 rebounds, three steals, two blocks. He was a plus 15 in the game. That's awfully good. Um, you know, just doing a lot of those uh, a lot of those those things you've got to do down the stretch. D'Angelo Russell was excellent down the stretch too. He had 28 points. More than half of them in the fourth quarter made a lot of big shots when the Wolves needed it the most. Anthony Edwards, 26 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists, 6 steals. Uh, he was all over the box score as well, including, unfortunately, 6 turnovers. Uh, but you know, a lot of contributors in that game and a lot of plays made down the stretch. And that was something that D'Angelo Russell said after the game. I liked the way he phrased it, basically... The, uh, the don't-be-that-guy approach to playing down the stretch and doing the little things. I mean, I've seen this every year um, that I've been in a league where either a young team that's trying to figure it out, um, not realizing that it's that one little play that can um, d- dictate the game, if it's that box out or that foul or that turnover, anything like that. And um, like I said, just trying not to be that guy. And if everybody's mentality is trying not to be that guy, and what I mean by that is on film, when coach pauses the film, don't be that guy that's in the wrong. And um, when you think like that and think about it during the midst of the flow of the game, it allows you to just be in the game, you know, and locked in. And um, it's helped for me when I was a little young. When I, a few years ago, I figured that out. But like I said, we we got some young players that is figuring it out right now. So um <clears throat> try to stay on them with my voice and, and let them, you know, hear that, you know, especially when the game's on the line. The timing of Gobert's very good game, by the way, quite uh, quite good as their next game is at Utah. I'm sure there'll be all sorts of talk. Again, I know they've played Utah already, but that was early in the season. This one's at Utah. Obviously, that's where Rudy Gobert played um, or you know, was traded from this offseason where he'd spent the, re- you know, the, the all of his early, very good career. Um, so we'll see. I'm sure there'll be a lot of stories about Rudy Gobert. I might even write about it, just kind of revisiting the idea of that trade. But going into that, off of that monster performance, especially after Utah's surprisingly good start, and they've cooled off a bit, but they had a big comeback win, last-second win over the over the Warriors the other night. They are 15-12, and 12, surprisingly so. Um, I'm sure that trade will get talked about, and uh, you know, having Gobert coming off that game will make that conversation a little bit more palatable for the Wolves. Quick with the Wild before we get to go for volleyball here. Wild blow a 2-0 lead, lose 5-3. Just, you know, a game where they just didn't tighten it up enough. It just felt like, you know, trying to watch that back and forth with the Wolves. Kaprizov had a goal. Um, it'd be nice to be able to go up 2-0 and be able to sustain that or build on that lead. They just couldn't do that in a, in this game. So a four-game win streak that they built on that long homestand comes to an end. You know, there's some things they needed to clean up during that uh, during that stretch that, that they, um, you know, maybe were getting away with, um, you know, in, in, in that stretch that, you know, that they didn't get away with against Calgary last night. So, you know, again, hockey, it's one of 82. What are you going to do? You're not going to have your, your best performance every night. But disappointing when you go up 2 nothing in a game and you, you don't have, maybe don't have the kind of performance after that that you want to get outscored 5-1 from that point forward. Um, we'll see, though. they got a long, long West Coast trip just like the uh, – I mean, not West Coast, Western Conference trip. Calgary's not on the West Coast, but <laughs> the long Western Conference trip – just like the Wolves, Wolves heading out west now too, and you know this could be a defining moment for both teams in the season. We'll see, but uh, you know, Wild not not off to a good start, but uh, definitely some uh, some some things for them to uh, to correct as this trip goes on. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake with twenty four seven gaming. The good times never have to end. 
and you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Let's spend some time talking some Gophers volleyball today. Jeff Day from the Star Tribune joins me. He's done a great job all season and last year, too, covering the Gophers uh, volleyball program. A very interesting team every year, but particularly this year, Jeff, with the mid-year announcement that Hugh McCutcheon is stepping down at the end of this season. The Gophers, again, playing seemingly their best volleyball now that we are into the, the crunch time of the season. They advanced to the Sweet 16 yet again. Some dominating performances last weekend, <clears throat> playing the first and second round at home at the Maturi Pavilion. A lot of you know players earning Big Ten honors, seemingly ascending, but still uh, these interesting storylines and, and a very difficult opponent uh, up ahead on on Thursday morning, uh, Ohio State in that uh, in that round of 16. It kind of sets the stage for a lot of storylines this weekend, does it not? Yeah, it's a fun. Um, you can't ask for a much better Sweet 16 matchup just because the talent on both teams is really strong. Um, now you look at the records of both Minnesota and Ohio State, and it's like, oh, maybe they're not quite at that. Um, you know, say a Texas or a Wisconsin, just a couple of losses. They both had a handful, but. They both are probably top three for strength of schedule in collegiate volleyball. They have played monster schedules, both of them, non-conference and conference, obviously. And um, when Ohio State came to Minnesota and just, I mean, they just, it was a a wash. They just took Minnesota to task here. And Minnesota really was struggling with their attack at that point and in that match particularly. Um, But then the Gophers, like you said, started to kind of find their footing it felt like down the stretch and when they went into Ohio State and won in four sets after losing the first that was maybe their most impressive win up to that point in the season and then they went and beat Nebraska the night after and you kind of felt like wow this might be this might be a a, a, you know what like you said kind of this late season ascension that they aim for every year yeah Um, and so the fact that these teams are going to play again um, makes for just great volleyball and this is this is some of the best Big Ten um <laughs> and it's weird to say that about the Sweet 16, but this is as good of a Big Ten match as you can get. Um, Taylor Landfair, Player of the Year. Mac Pedraza was um, Setter of the Year. Kylie Murr was, I think, the Libero of the Year. I want to say Defensive Player of the Year. Um, Emily Londot is a monster. So these two teams have a ton going for them. Um, and it, it's it's 11 a.m. It's like you know, kind of right. this, it's a perfect time with this kind of World Cup era. You know, sports fans have gotten used to a little mid morning action, and this is going to be great. Um, and yeah, I think you're absolutely right. The McCutcheon storyline adds a real um, unique element to this year. But right now, as somebody who's covered this team and been very interested in the McCutcheon story, I can truly say that I'm just locked in on the fact that this is going to be a phenomenal volleyball match. Yeah, I think that's you know that's definitely where their focus should be. There'll be plenty of time to to tell the McCutcheon story, you know, whenever this season does. And but it, it definitely added a twist to this year. And you you, you you we think about sports in terms of distractions, motivation, whatever it is that that can influence performance. And you know his his decision, his announcement in the middle of this year could have taken this team in a completely different direction, right? People who came here to play for him that are the best players on this team that still have eligibility left could have looked at it and said, oh man, like kind of, they could have messed with their heads a little bit. Could be like, well, what does my future now hold and, and lost sight of the present? Instead, it does seem like they are playing 
even better since then, which is you know probably par for the course for how he's been able to focus them at, at any point during his tenure. But uh, that that it, like you said, he's he's gone out of his way to not make that a storyline, but it, it still sits there. Um, not awkwardly, but just kind of obviously, as as we think about this, that you know, if they lose tomorrow, that will be his last match as the head coach. Yeah, I think that um, it's tough because, as anybody who has followed him, um, and I am not the first. We've had a ton of reporters who have spent time with uh, Hugh, and um, obviously, he's a national known figure in in volleyball. Um, he does things his way. It's what makes him a great coach. He's extremely open and and sharing in, in his um, thought processes. And with this, you know, he hasn't been. And that is also sort of feels like par for the course for how he handles uh, his relationship to his team, which is that he might make a decision, but that's going to be his until it's time to dig into it. Now, as a reporter, as a curious person, you're kind of put into that position of going, well, you have to respect a person's stance on how they want to deal with the news of their personal life. Right. Uh, but I think you're right that a lot of people wondered, what is that announcement going to have on this team? And the fact that they, you know, and him making the deci- making the announcement that he'll be staying at the program, I think also was, um, you know, is worth mentioning, because I do think that had a maybe a settling effect on the thoughts of some players. I know Taylor Landfair said that when she heard the news about his resignation, when he delivered the news to the team, um, it that it began a, a long process of her trying to kind of work through her emotions and feelings with regards to that. Because like several players, um, McCutcheon has a real um, profound impact on these athletes. There is no way around that. Um, and she said that he kind of made her reimagine what a relationship could be like with a coach. She didn't have great trust with coaches prior to coming here. And so to find out that he was leaving, I think, took time for them to consider and think about, like you said, what it means for their career. But then his decision that, hey, I'll also be staying around. I think that um, in a new role with the athletic department, right. I think that did have a settling effect. Um, and anyway, he will tell you <laughs> that whatever his decision is, shouldn't have an impact on their ability to get the best out of themselves. And that's what the team has tried to do. That's what the coaching staff has tried to do, which is that, hey, the future is the future. But right now we're going to try to focus on getting this team to play at its best ability. They're healthy. They have figured out their roles. It's obvious that they've kind of worked into the rotation that they've been looking for all year um, while dealing with some injuries, dealing maybe with trying to kind of work their way through a deep roster when you have the depth that they have they've tried some different combinations of things and i think they've settled on something um that's really working and yeah it's what makes this weekend so phenomenal and if they get two matches and they get to play a team like texas in the elite eight it's like this is as good as volleyball gets period um and to have that be the send-off to his career in whatever capacity winning or losing it's like it feels about right um, that this is where, you know, we're going to get to see what this team is capable of. I'm going to talk about some individuals here in a minute, but schematically, strategically, it seems to me that one element that's been added, you know, more to this year's team is, is a little bit of a better block. I feel like last year they maybe were like a, a really tall player short of, of, <laughs> of, of no, no pun intended. Right. Um, the word play there, but just, just that, that element feels like it's, it's really come along this year to, to give them, you know, another dimension against, against some of these elite teams that, that are going to run a lot of those really big hitters or really big medals up against them. Yeah. And you know, when you lose Stephanie Samity, um, even if you have great talent behind her, 
you do not replace her. And so learning as a team, you know, you look at somebody like Taylor Lanfair, who is a phenomenal player, but she's also having to get used to back row or not get used to, but ramp up that part of her game. She There have been all kinds of things that she's had to add and implement coming off of an injury loss season. Uh, same with Jenna Wenis. You know, these excellent hitters have had to you know, take on different roles and and learn different positions on the court and all kinds of things that take time. Um, and it's the same is true with this middle block, because like you said, they have added that. But Carter Booth is a freshman and her transformation over the course of the season is incredible. This is a player who by next year, by her junior, she is going to be one of the best players in college volleyball, period. She is incredible um, offensively and defensively. But that took time. Because it's not easy to just jump in from high school to this level and play, especially with the schedule that they that they had. Um, you add on to that, you know, Nia Gross played a lot early and was really steady. And then Erica Davis, this sophomore transfer from Ohio State, um, has come on of late. And so they and Ellie Huseman was playing really well early, got injured. And then, you know, I don't know if her playing time has strictly been wrinkled because of that or because maybe Davis and Booth have started to to kind of, you know, settle into their roles, you know, but anyway, they do have a much more developed middle block and it's created. It's what makes the team really interesting and exciting because there are matches where you just watch them shut down great, great attacks. And you are absolutely right that they did not have that last year. Last year it was it, their offense was world-class, but um, their middles weren't as involved as they are this year. And as that is also especially true offensively. Um, you can watch Melanie Shaftmaster as the setter work with her middles, and it adds this really great dynamic because then you have Wenis, Landfair, Wooker on the outside, and all of a sudden, instead of the defense being able just to solely focus on them, they have to take these middles into account because they are offensive and they can really do work. And so, yeah, th- that middle block, ha- I think, changes the entire equation. And because it has taken almost the entire course of the season to sort of develop that, to get it to this level. I think it's why people look at this team and go, well, maybe they are rounding into a completely different form and have the ability to go in and maybe win two matches this weekend. And that's interesting because I, you mentioned, you talk about offense and defense that, you know, I don't tend to think about volleyball in that way necessarily. I think about defense more as like, just get the ball back to, you know, to do the offense again, but you're right. Yeah. If you can shut a team down and you didn't have that capability, if you're getting points off of that or making it hard for the other team to even you know, think about their offense. That that's another dimension, like you said. Um, another interesting piece of this team, like you talked about, is like they always seem to have this knack or tend to plan to be playing their best at the end of the year. And that's I think a lot of teams have that state of goal. You should be improving as the year goes on, but they almost make this kind of like overarching point of it. Like, yeah, it's okay if we lose a little bit early as long as we're kind of developing this process. It's the process that's going to get us to this point where we want to be in late November into December. And that's, that's kind of, I would imagine that's hard because you don't, you never want to lose. And sometimes it's probably hard to see the end process when you're going through it. Um, but, but they, that's, that's probably the the biggest kind of McCutcheonism of all is that always be playing the best at the end of the year and don't so much worry about results early on. It does seem like this is one of those years. I, you know, I was talking with uh, Matt Houck right <laughs> before the start of the big 10 season and um, you know, McCutcheon's philosophy is so great. And he has such a great staff that works with him to sort of implement that, you know, and Matt was talking about how they're used, you know, there always are going to be teams that maybe have a dominant season and lose one or two games. Texas is one of these teams that I think has lost once this year. 
Um, or you go back into the 90s when Penn State was just smoking. You know what I mean? It was like, but the talent level now around collegiate volleyball is so strong that um, being able to process what is happening and learn throughout the course of the season feels vital. And also, I think for the coaching staff is exciting. Um, there, There is this feeling that at least when I'm around that that gym, that the search is part of the joy, you know, that trying to figure out what is going to work, what is this going to look like at its best um, is exciting for them. Frustrating, I'm sure. Frustrating for players, I'm sure. Um, but then when you get a stretch like this, it I have to imagine that it feels like really eye-opening that once again, even though each year it's like it refreshes itself, you forget that it can work. Because I know for a lot of Gopher fans, and for me as somebody who covers the team, I was sort of surprised at how the season started. Um, and the same thing happened last year. They had a kind of a rough start to last season. And, and yet here we are again where it seems like, you know, I don't know, it's like a Wiley Coyote thing where you don't learn that this is a process that works and they've developed it. And once again, these players are sitting here going, well, if at the very least, nobody wants to play Minnesota. I can promise you that. You know, if you're Ohio sure. State... You're sitting there going, great. Just like I'm sure Minnesota feels like about Ohio State, um, this is what we have to do just to get to the Elite Eight. And then Texas is going to have to deal. Well, now Texas has to play Marquette. But anyway, I'm rambling a hair. But just to say that what you're going to see on Thursday is extremely high level volleyball, as good as it. And, and in a world where, you know, people maybe think that it takes a while to develop, the depth in collegiate volleyball is so heavy that a match that, could easily be a final four level quality matchup between Ohio state and, and Minnesota is going to happen in the sweet 16. Absolutely. Um, I think we, we touched on a couple of the individuals, but I mean, Taylor Landfair, uh, big 10 player of the year, region player of the year, if I'm not mistaken as well. Um, you want your best players to be at their best. You wouldn't expect anything less from her in, in this match. How important is she, you know, both against Ohio state and potentially against Texas when you're talking about, you know, just flat out your your best player or at least recognized as the best player in the conference. She is so, um, she is so good. Um, and more importantly than that, she is so necessary to everything that the team does. I was looking at it towards the end of the year. I think the number of, uh, you know, just attempts she had made on the attack was more than double the second and third player on the team who I think are Wooker and Wenis. Um, and she is just, she's the focal point of the offense a large burden is placed on her shoulders to bring it every single night. And she has had so many games where she just took over. And to see that in volleyball, I think, is is just amazing because it is such a team sport and it relies on so many moving parts. And when you have a player like her who is athletic, intelligent, uh, powerful, um, it just kind of narrows the court a little bit. And again, it's why this kind of developing feeling about the team feels so excellent because when you start having the middles like Carter or like Eric or like Naya start bringing some heat offensively well then all of a sudden you're as a defense if you're Ohio State or whoever's placing uh, facing Minnesota now you have to figure out okay we have to focus on that but on the outside is the best player in the Big Ten who if right. you give an inch of room she's gonna she's going to just destroy the floor so um anyway she will be uh crucial but I think um the thing that will make that has made her her best is that as the season has gone along, some of that pressure at times has been taken off of her where, yeah, we, they might need her to win a match on her, not on her own, but you know what I mean? Need yeah. her to really take stand over, out. take over. Take yeah. Over. But um, there have also been matches. You look at what they did against UNI. you go look at that box score. 
She had a nice match. So did everybody. I mean, it was so balanced. She had 11 kills and they smoked UNI. And that was a team that after watching UNI really handle Florida State, I thought this is going to be a challenge for the Gophers. And it wasn't that Landfair was out of this world or, I mean, Carter Booth was kind of out of this world, but it wasn't that one player really took it over. It was everybody was just there. And that, I think, is if you're talking to McCutcheon or you're talking to any of the players, that's where they see their strength, which is this year we can have a star like Landfair, but there are matches where we can easily win and let her just do her thing but not have to solely rely on that. Final thought for you, Jeff Day, really enjoying this Gopher volleyball conversation. I mean, I think it's just natural when you get to these elimination-type games where you win, you advance, you lose, you're done, to think a little bit more big picture. Do you think there is any you know, kind of thought in players' minds, like let's keep winning to keep McCutcheon's career going? Or do you think they've distanced themselves enough from that idea? It's a good, I think that, um, I think that's a narrative that I would buy into. I, I know that they have talked about that. You know, CeCe McGraw has said at times that that winning for McCutcheon um, is something that the players have talked about. But I also have to imagine that at this point, this is about excellence and this is about really tapping into a potential that I think was being searched for all season. And to me, the the testament to McCutcheon is this team. The testament to his career is this team. If you were to say to a fan or try to explain to them what his kind of um, meaning as a coach is, why people admire him and the way that he processes, you know, player development, you could point to this season. And that's a really good testament uh, to his legacy. And the further they go, will only add to that. But as somebody who, again, midway through the season, when McCutcheon announced his resignation, the team was struggling. I thought, just like you said earlier, are the wheels about to just completely fall off of this right. season? It's about to, is something, is this about to go haywire? The fact that his players have stepped up and have found, you know, the best elements of themselves and, you know, sort of congealed into this great collection is you cannot ask for a better sort of send off than that. Now, if they keep going, well, then we'll, well, we'll, we'll have to write it. But, uh, but um, I think right now for them, they're just looking at this going, we're here to play and we're here to try to go, you know, win a national championship. So, yeah, we, we do love, <clears throat> we do love a good narrative and it is always subject to change. So we'll see what happens um, on Thursday and perhaps beyond um, Jeff day. Great stuff as always. You've done a great job covering this team with great depth and passion. I appreciate you uh, checking in on daily delivery and we'll, we'll talk soon. All right. Thank you. Really enjoyed that conversation with Jeff Day. Does a tremendous job covering the Gopher volleyball team. If you're listening to this early enough on uh, on Thursday morning, you can still watch that match 11 a.m. against Ohio State on ESPN2. So pretty widely available on pretty much every cable, satellite, streaming option. So there you go. Gophers, Ohio State, 11 a.m. Check that out. Big one for them. We'll see if they can advance to the region final. Let's finish with the cooler. Vikings dealing with some illnesses. They got some injury news as well with uh, Caleb Evans going on injured reserve. They're very, um, you know, encouraging young corner. He's had two concussions now, goes on IR, so that will be a long-term thing for him. Same day they get Cam Dantzler back at practice. Maybe he's going to be back into the mix now this weekend. So, you know, that piece of it, at least, uh, you know, in terms of football, feeling like they're kind of, you know, treading water with their cornerback depth, but a lot of illnesses. A lot of the key players on this defense out with illness during Wednesday's walkthrough. Daniil Hunter, 
Patrick Peterson, Harrison Smith, all of them held out Wednesday. Again, you know, it's it's a few days away from from game time. Probably precautionary things like that. Not the end of the world, but don't want to see that creeping up this time of year um, as you start to think about you know going forward, trying to clinch this division, things like that. And we talked a lot a lot more about that on Wednesday's Access Vikings podcast. And I'm sure Ben Gessling and I will get into the Vikings a little bit more on Friday's podcast as well, talking about the illnesses, talking about other things going on with that team. That'll do it for today. Hope you enjoyed everything we had going today. And uh, we'll back at it again on Friday.